morning. How are we doing this morning? We're doing okay? Pretty good. Alright, well we're here this morning. We're going to go ahead and continue with our uh, serious wisdom. And it's a principal theme. I think this is part five of our series today. And we're hoping to finish talking about the fear of the Lord today. And then hopefully next week we'll start getting to the seven pillars of the house of wisdom. Uh, and that's my goal for next week. Okay? Well, without mind, let's go ahead and turn to our uh, key verse for this, uh, this series. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. Proverbs 4, verse 7. We'll go ahead and kick it off this morning. Let me just get my iPad synced with this for not watching nature pictures. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Wisdom is, and there's not that it will be, not that it could be, but wisdom is the principal thing. <clears throat> Therefore, get wisdom. And all you're getting, get understanding. With that, let's go ahead and turn to with me to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. And you'll see this said throughout the book of Proverbs, even a lot of the Psalms will refer to this. <coughs> Excuse me, but it says verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So, uh, again, we've been talking about uh, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, go get it. And we've been talking the last few weeks, uh, how do we get it? What is it? How do we get it? How do we maintain it? How do we retain it? Where is it? And as we've been talking about retaining wisdom, the last of four questions that we talked about in the last four weeks, we've talked about how the fear of the Lord is one of the greatest ways to retain wisdom. But when we talk about the fear of the Lord, when we hear that phrase in the scriptures, and when we even talk about it, a lot of the people don't understand what the fear of the Lord is. And it's not talked about a lot today uh, in the church. So what I want to do just first off this morning, if it's okay with you, I'm going to just talk a few things about what the fear of the Lord is not, and then we'll spend the majority of our time talking about what the fear of the Lord is. Okay? The fear of the Lord, first of all, let me just say, say mention this, that the fear of the Lord is not a tormenting fear. Another, another way of saying that is it's not a demonic type of fear. Why do I say that? First of all, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the, the Lord did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. 1 John 4.18 says that perfect love casts out fear. It goes on to say that when there is fear, there is torment. So there's actually two kinds of fears out there. There's a fear that is tormenting. It's not what the Spirit of the Lord has given us. But there's also the fear of the Lord. We're going to be highlighting that. But uh, let me continue on with the stop. What the fear of the Lord is not. The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. It's not being scared of Him. There, there, is, a, there is a fear of man. I believe there, there, there is a, what I call a religious fear. That people have, 
that religion has taught and conveyed that has caused people to fear God. And you know, one way of saying that, that they fear God is a hard taskmaster. Um, anxiety is not from the Lord. And again, the fear of the Lord is not a tormenting fear. It's not a fear of God. See, a fear of God, or being afraid of God, will cause you to hide from God. That's what happened to Adam when he sinned. He hid from God. That's not the fear of the Lord. Okay? Um, I, you know, one way religion has done this, they will do fear and motivate people to go to church. Or pay tithes. Or not sin. Or these things. One thing or another. We don't God does not motivate by torment. He doesn't motivate by that type of fear. Um, he does, he's not trying to manipulate us. Okay, First, let's go real quickly to uh, Luke chapter 1. I forgot I had this in my notes. So I believe uh, the context is talking about Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And then at the end of, uh, after, after John the Baptist was conceived and born, uh, Zechariah prophesied, and he said this, people pick up verse 74, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Sorry, I just had to go there because I forgot why I had that in my notes, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time with this. But again, uh, this is another... Another echo that God doesn't want us to serve Him with fear. And there is a fear of the Lord, but there's also a tormenting fear that we'll be afraid of God. See, God's. Um, let me uh, let's look again. Let's look at my notes. Hopefully, I make sense with that. I think we'll, we'll make more sense of it as I begin to talk about now um, what the fear of the Lord is. Again, uh, really, I could I could go spend a lot of time talking about what the fear is not. Fear of the Lord is not. But I can, I can just summarize it with this, what I just said, that the fear of the Lord is not a tormenting fear, causing us to be afraid or scared of God. That makes sense? Um, hopefully it does as we go forward. But uh, what is the fear of the Lord? I think there's five things that kind of have, uh, I've kind of highlighted as things that have helped me to understand the fear of the Lord. I don't think this is necessarily an exhaustive list. But five things, that, and I'm going to highlight some of these as we go forward. But let me just kind of list them as, as, as we get started. First of all, I believe the fear of the Lord is a profound respect for God. Another way of saying that exact same point, I believe there's a respect for God, His Word, His Son, His Spirit, the Cross, the Gospel. It's a holy respect for God. I'll come back to make a few points on that. I believe, second of all, I believe the fear of the Lord is a reverential, obedient fear. I'll come back to that, because that can, can, just by the title of that, we can kind of see that might look like a bit of tormenting fear. But, you know, just because we're under grace, that doesn't mean we don't obey God. We don't obey God to become righteous, but He's still our Lord. He's our Savior, yes, but He's our Lord. He's our Master. He's our King. He's our Father. We still obey Him. Okay? And, if, and we do it out of respect. We do it out of honor. We do it out of worship. And I'll show I'll, I'll spend on that in a few moments. The third thing I want to talk about, I'll talk about this towards the end, but I believe we, uh, the fear of the Lord is to be in awe of God. We don't 
hear that term. We don't talk that way. But I believe that our God is an awesome God. And I believe that we need to we reverence Him with awe. And I believe that awe is missing in some circles of the church today. We don't see God. We've lost the awe-ness of God, if I can put it that way. Another one is uh, to, it goes along with the same, the same one I just mentioned, but I believe the fear of the Lord is to be arrested by the presence of the person of Jesus, by the person of, the, the person of God, the presence of God. I believe that makes sense, but to be arrested in his presence. And, uh, you know, uh, his presence is more, it's, it's better than anything else you can ever have. There's one thing I don't want ever to be without, and that's without the presence of God in my life. Hopefully I'll expand on that a little bit. And then uh, the, the fifth one is, I believe the third one is a wholesome dread of displeasing God. Again, this can sound very much like a, a tormenting type of fear, but I will expand on that a little bit in just a few moments. But a wholesome dread of displeasing God. Okay? Um, we'll come back to the some of that in just a few moments. Um, okay? Sorry, we're just looking at something here. Okay, I'm going to come back to that. Okay. So, um, hopefully I'm making sense. Sorry. If I'm, um, what I'm trying to do, one reason why I'm uh, a little lost in thought, uh, is I didn't finish last week's, and I want to go on to this week's message, but I'm trying to tie in a little bit what I didn't cover last week into this message. And I'm trying to tie that in, so bear with me as we go forward. Um, so let me just uh, take a look at real quickly at this one. A profound respect for God and His Word, um, His person. You know, it, it alarms me uh, when I see people who don't who disrespect God. And I've seen this both in the world. I've seen this both in the religious church, and I have seen this with those who embrace grace. They won't respect God's word. And in other words, they will respect a word or a prophecy over God's word. At times, I've seen it that way. We've had people, good friends and whatnot, but we thought of them as good friends. Uh, you know, they question us why we will obey God's word and not the wisdom of men. Uh, and different things. And, and I don't want to go into details. I don't want to talk about people. But I've, I've seen... We have seen it at times through the years and even in recent days when people will kind of mock us for obeying or attempting to obey God's word. We're not trying to obey God's word to become righteous. But sometimes when we are in a situation, God tells us how to deal with that situation. God tells us how to respond to that situation. God tells us how not to respond to certain things and how not to act. We're not doing that to become holy, but we, we will honor, we will respect his word. And uh, um, it sort of alarms me. You know, we don't do it in this church, and I'm kind of glad we don't to a certain degree, because I don't want to be religious. But I've been to churches that any time they read the word, they stand up. And as much as I don't necessarily want that, that, that just that mannerism, even though but one thing I do like about there is a respect for the Word of God. Let me just paint a picture. If someone famous, someone influential, walked in the room, sometimes people will give them a sense of awe. 
but also they will go through the process and not even give them a standing ovation. Uh, it's, you know, someone of significance. It could be a, a vet, it could be an Olympian, it could be a, a, a respectful president, and I can put it that way. And different things that people respect or, or whatever it might be, but someone of significance, people will, will give them respect. But I do appreciate the teachers that do, they do respect the Word of God. Dwayne Sheriff was talking about how he was a guest speaker at a church and he didn't know that this was their custom. And so every time he, he said, let's turn to such and judge, they all stood up. And uh, he had a lot of scriptures. <laughs> so it was, it was just going up and down, you know. And uh, as much as silly as that seems in one sense, and especially when he wasn't used to that, he wasn't, he, he wasn't going to know that would take place, he did walk away. They had a respect for the Word of God. And I will never, uh, I know we're making a little bit, a little bit here, but I'm trying to make a point of positive that there's respect for God's Word. There's some people who, they say they love God, but they don't spend any time in God's Word. They don't have any, they don't, that's not respect. They don't even spend time with the Word of God. And different things. And so, so uh, anyway, uh, it's, I believe it's a profound respect of God's word. What does God say about the matter? What does God say to do in this regard? How does God say that we should live and conduct ourselves? I want to respect him. That kind of goes, I'm going to jump ahead to my, my uh, one of my, my last points that I mentioned here, the wholesome juror of displeasing God. When you love somebody, when you respect someone, don't you want to please them? Just because, and Displeasing God, I'm not talking about losing our salvation, but I still want to please them. You still want to please your spouse. You still want to please your kids. You still want to please your parents. You still want to please your boss. You still want to please certain people. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please them. And it, 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 this wholesome dread of displeasing God. Not this wholesome dread of displeasing God because we're afraid that He's going to zap us or judge us or condemn us or strike us with some sickness or some disease or some curse. No, it's a, it's a wholesome dread of displeasing God because we don't want to displease Him. That makes sense? I, I know sometimes my wife and I, especially me, I can be the joker and when I want to joke around teasingly, but at the, at the bottom line, I know, but I, maybe I should talk about her, because I know that she doesn't want to displease me. She'll go out of her way, not the one that displeases me. And so, that's love. That's honor. And there's a, there's a wholesome, but yet dreadful fear of displeasing somebody. Does that make sense? We've had people when we've uh, been gone on ministry of trips or vacations, they would house sit. And while we're, while we're gone, something accidentally gets broken or, or damaged or whatever the case may be. And, you know, not that we want things to be damaged, but at the, at the bottom line, it's just stuff. And we're okay with it. But on their end, they have this wholesome fear of displeasing us that they broke something. And we just jokingly say, but we also mean it. You have the permission to break things in our home. It's not like I want you to go around with a sledgehammer and just go at it. But at the same point in time, it's just stuff. But I'm trying to use this to paint the picture of that they had a wholesome dread of displeasing us. 
They wanted to bless us. They didn't want to come. They didn't want to leave breaking something or damaging something or misusing something. They wanted to please us. It's the same thing with God. When we fear the Lord, we want to please Him. And it, and when we don't operate in faith, it's not just that we're not pleasing God, that He's mad at us or upset with us. He's went, we're displeasing Him because without faith, it won't work. If we don't put faith in His grace, it won't work. That's what displeases Him. He wants what He's provided us by grace to work. But if we don't trust it, if we don't rely on His grace, it won't work. That's why it displeases God. Because that means that we're not trusting Him or what He's done. We're trusting something else. It's called unbelief. That makes sense? And it's, and, and, but it's also a wholesome fear of displeasing God. I want to be pleasing Him. I want my life to be a blessing, not a curse. I want to be an example of what, what, what the, the right thing to do, not the wrong thing to do. And I want to respect His Word. I want to honor His Word. I want to please Him. I want to put faith in Him and His Word. Does that make sense? Yes. To me, that's one aspect of the fear of the Lord. You want to please Him. Go along with that, my second point is this reverential obedience or fear of God. Go with me real quick. I just want to go here to, to illustrate this, but in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, we'll pick it up in verse 12. I'm not going to read the whole context. But the context of Abraham offering his son Isaac and obedience to God. And this is God's response in Genesis 22, verse 12. As he, in Moses, we all know the story that he was, able, he was going to offer up his son Isaac and God told him to do so. And as he was doing so, he went all the way up the mountain. He had it there everywhere. He had a knife in his hand and there was a lamb caught in the thicket. And actually, this is the same context. He's going to see the ram in the very next verse. But this is the verse right before verse 12. He says, And he, God, said, do not lay your hand on the lad, Isaac, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes, looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for the burnt offering instead of his son. So we know that Abraham received righteousness by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's, it's, it's called the righteousness of God by faith. We've also received righteousness by putting faith in the cross. And with, Paul teaches that in Romans and in Galatians. And, and it's a major message that we teach here as well. But as much as it's the righteousness of God by faith, can you see the connection of faith and also the fear of the Lord? Because it says in verse 12, Now I know that you fear God. His faith, faith without works, is dead. And his faith in what God told him to do caused him to fear God and obey God. It's not his performance that got him saved, but his performance proved that he had faith in God. That make sense? Faith, if, if I were to tell you that the house is on fire, 
Maybe I can't in this room because you don't see anything. But as I say, you know, the bedroom, the house is on fire. If you believe what I said, you will either call 911, get out of the house, try to go extinguish the fire. But if you didn't believe what I said, you would just sit there like you are right now, just looking at me. And I just anyway, it's just uh, about being facetious. But does that make sense? If we believe what he said, if we believe in what he tells us to do, then we're going to have a corresponding action. Why? Because we trust him. Why? Because we have a respect, a reverential fear, obedience towards him. We don't obey God to become righteous, but because we are righteous, we obey him. We are his sons. We are his kids. We are the people. And, you know, somehow, with this message of grace, a lot of us have thrown obedience out of the bathwater. We still obey God. He is our Savior, but He is also our Lord. He's not a hard taskmaster. And I'm not saying that we're going to lose our salvation if we don't obey God. At the same, but at the same point in time, we're not going to please Him. Why? Because we're not going to operate the things that He told us to do. He told us to go lay hands on the sick. He told us to raise the dead. He told us to do many things that we should do in his name. Do we respect that? Do we obey that? God told Abraham to offer up Isaac. God told us to go lay hands on the sick. Are we doing it? Are we obeying it? It displeases him not because uh, so much that he's mad at us. It displeases him because people are not being healed because we are not representing God. Hopefully I'm making sense with that. I'm not trying to make a major point with this. But, but I am making a point of, 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 uh, of the fear of the Lord being obedience. Look at with me real quick to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things he had not yet seen, moved with godly what? Fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Again, we see righteousness by faith, but we also see that he, God told Noah to build an ark. Now, this might be a little hard for us to understand because we've seen rain. Actually, in California, we've had a lot of rain this year. But in Noah's day, rain never existed. They never had rain. And God told Noah to build an ark. He didn't have them build it by the sea. He didn't have them build it by the, in the valley. He had them build it on the mountain. But he built an ark. An ark that had never rain. And it took him a long time, many years, many decades, over a century, to build this boat for God. In obedience. But it says that he built it out of fear. And I can imagine, because I know mankind, that people around him ridiculed him, mocked him. That he probably was the joke of the town until it began to rain. And but and there's that thing that God has called you to do. There's thing that God has called me to do. There's thing that God has called us to do. And man may laugh at us. Man may mock us. But the fear of the Lord will enable you to obey God even if you are the only one like Noah. 
fear of the Lord will cause you to respect and obey God. When God tells you to do something and everyone else tells you to do otherwise. You understand the fear of the Lord? It was a righteous God by faith, and it talks about this even with Noah. But the fear of the Lord enabled him, caused him, motivated him to obey God and build an ark. I mean, it wasn't just for his family, it was for all the animals coming by twos. And even the other ones that they were having food. I mean, God, God had to do that, God had to orchestrate that, but at the same point in time, but Noah had to build the boat. And, uh, you know, and so, it just, it, by fear, he, 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 he did it. Can you see the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man? But as Scripture specifically says, New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says, By fear, Noah built an ark. By, by fear, Abraham offered up Isaac. These are people of faith. These who are people who declare righteous by their faith. Not by their performance, but by their faith. But their faith worked simultaneously with the fear of the Lord. You see these both in operation. Okay? Let's deal with, uh, I'm going to deal with the honor of God a little bit later in the presence of the, uh, towards the end of the message. Go with me real quick to Psalm 118. I'm sorry, excuse me. Psalm 111. Psalm 111. And we'll pick it up in verse 10. And it says almost the same thing that we read earlier from Proverbs. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and good understanding, having all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. If you were to read this verse in the New Living Translation, it would say, the first one verse would say, The fear of the Lord is the foundation. Of wisdom. Instead of the beginning of wisdom, it's the foundation of wisdom. It also says that those who who obey, they will grow in wisdom. I don't have that on the screen because I don't have that on my Bible app. This translation, but the New Living Translation says those who obey will grow in wisdom. Uh, and I, I started out with this verse, but Proverbs 9:10 says that the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But in the New Living Translation, again it says the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. But it goes on to say, and uh, without the fear of the Lord you cannot make good judgments. Without the fear of the Lord you cannot make good judgments. That's huge. I want to spend just a little bit of time with that. Without the fear of the Lord you cannot make good judgments. It was the fear of the Lord that caused Noah to make a good judgment of what to do. It was the fear of the Lord that caused David to know what to do when Goliath was on the scene. David respected God. He respected God's covenant. And so when David came on the scene to Goliath, he knew what God... See, the, 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 the excuse me, the wisdom of the Lord, the, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. David feared God with a wholesome fear. That when he saw Goliath on the scene, he knew how to remedy the situation. Take Goliath out. David was not intimidated by Goliath's size, his stature. David trusted the word of God. God David trusted the covenant he had with God. 
versus the natural strength and, and size of Goliath. See how the fear of the Lord will work for you? It worked for David. It worked for Esther. It worked for Joseph. It worked for Daniel. The fear of the Lord will cause you to obey God, to trust God, to rely on God, to do things that, are, that would go against the norm. I believe it's the fear of the Lord that caused Moses to, op to, to, to operate with the, the ten plagues and trust God. He wasn't trusting himself. He had a whole conversation with God in Exodus chapter 3 in the Mount Sinai. He, he, did, he, didn't, he didn't have a good voice. He was too weak. He was too timid. But I want to expand just real quickly on, on, this, on this thought in the New Living Translation from Proverbs 9.10 that the fear of the Lord, you cannot make good judgments. You cannot make good decisions. And the reason, one reason I'm doing this, one reason I'm even teaching this series about wisdom is we are in these last days there are many voices out there. And there are many, many deceiving spirits. Many people who are going to try to deceive you. And we've taught about this many times in this church, that when you're deceived, one of the danger parts about being deceived is you don't know it. You don't know when you're being deceived. And you need the fear of the Lord. You need the wisdom of God to discern what is God, and how to do, what to do, who to listen to, and what to do. Because there might be times in these last days, you might be the only one like Noah. You might be the only one like David. You might be the only one like Joseph. You might be the only one like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who won't bow down. You might be the only one like Daniel. You might be the only one because it will cause you to be make good judgments in the fear of the Lord and the wisdom of God and not the fear of man. The fear of man is a snare, the Bible says. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, I'm not going to go into all these scriptures, but in Exodus chapter 18, Old Testament, Moses, Acts chapter 6, the apostles, New Testament, Paul even echoes it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he gives many criteria for what we do for choosing who are going to be in leaders, both politically, in governments, and also in the church. Even in the business, in Acts chapter 6, to weigh on tables. And one of the qualifications in both Exodus 18, Acts chapter 6, and 1 Timothy chapter 3, is that, that you choose men who fear the Lord. It's one of the qualifications of Moses. It was one of the qualifications for the apostles. It was one of the qualifications for, for Paul, who was teaching Timothy, a young pastor. And it's even echoed in Titus, another young pastor. That they would choose, of all their criteria, those who would fear the Lord. Those who had respect and honor for God. Because if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you will not make good judgments. And one of the reasons why our country and our world is in tr having trouble is because the world and our country at times has picked chosen leaders who did not fear the Lord. Luckily we have a president now who does. But we've had presence, and he's cleaned up a lot of the mess of those who did not fear the Lord. But let me just echo this for real quick. I don't want to make a major point out of this, or spend too, too long on this, but there's something spiritual going on in our world and even in our country today, beyond even Trump and other things. I'm not trying to get political. But it's not natural. And how many know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers? 
a war, there's, there's a there's a spirit of antichrist that will that and we're gonna see you'll see this in the Old Testament, you'll see this in the New Testament, you'll see this today. But there's a spirit of antichrist that will always invade governments because its goal is to persecute the righteous. In other words, see, even this country was founded by men and was born, was founded by men and women who, who fled religious persecution. They were fleeing religious persecution, and this country was born out of that. And that's how this country became a great nation, because of the fear of the Lord. And, and uh, I can go on and on about that. And our country still has its roots in God, in the sense that we still have a freedom to worship. We, to this day, we still don't have the fear of persecution or prosecution because we've teached the Word of God. And that is that sense we have a freedom to worship. But how many of you know to the world, to the spirit of Antichrist, to, to we, the church is a threat to the kingdom of darkness, to the spirit of Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist will always invade governments to create laws that will eventually persecute the church. Does that make sense? The spirit of Antichrist will always invade governments by creating laws that will eventually persecute the church. We see this with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar made a law to bow down to the golden idol that caused to be thrown in the fiery furnace. We see this with Daniel. There are different kingdoms, but they passed a law to that, that he couldn't pray. And he was thrown into the lion's den. We see this with the, the early church. They made a law. Don't preach in Jesus' name. And yet what did they do? They had they forgot for more boldness and they preached in Jesus' name all the more. It happened with Jesus. A law. Don't heal on the Sabbath. Don't do this. Don't do that. Religion, it can be, come from religious governments and it can come from natural governments. But the spirit of Antichrist will invade, working through people to create laws that will eventually persecute the church. Our world and those, some people in our society today do not have a fear of the Lord, do not have the wisdom of God, but we do. And if we will operate in the fear of God, in the wisdom of God, we will know how to discern and we will know how to act and behave even if we are the only one. Even if we get thrown in the furnace. Even if we get thrown in the lion's den. Even if we get persecuted. Even if we get crucified. That makes sense? We need to fear the Lord. We need to... How, you never know if what you're doing that God has called you to do is something like no and it's going to save people. But it's going to save you, in that sense. That makes sense? You don't have to turn to it, but Proverbs 15.33, again in the News Living Translation, says, The fear of the Lord teaches us wisdom. We need to be taught wisdom. We talked about it last week, I didn't get a chance to finish it, but in Hebrews chapter 5, they talked about, uh, the writer of Hebrews was talking to those who were dull of hearing. They would not listen. He said, by now you should be teachers, but someone has to teach you the first principles. I do never want to get in the church. I never want to get in a place where I'm dull of hearing God. I'm dull of being taught by God. 
We spent some time in Timothy uh, a week or two ago talking about how we want to be trained. We want to be indoctrinated. We want to be reproved, corrected, and trained in all righteousness. I want the scriptures to teach me the fear of the Lord. I want the, 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 I want the scriptures to teach me the wisdom of God. Am I making sense so far this morning? We spent some time in the last couple of weeks in Job 28, 28. And Job is saying, of God said that, that the fear of the Lord is true wisdom. Not only is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom, but Job says that God says that the fear of the Lord is true wisdom. And to forsake evil is real understanding. Go with me, uh, switch gears a little over here. We're along these same lines. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. And I'm going to toggle to the Amplified Version. Proverbs, I mean, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 11. We'll start with verse 1, and I'm going to be reading now the Amplified. Okay, I'm making sense so far? Okay. Well, let me read the context, and then we'll make some comments. And there shall come forth a shoot, out, or a root out of the stock of Jesse, David's father. And a branch out of his roots shall grow and bear fruit. So we're talking about who? Jesus. The Messiah. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. What the first message that Jesus preached after he was he was filled with the Holy Spirit and came out of the temptation, he went to the synagogue and he opened the book of Isaiah saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and of reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. I'm going to read that last part. And of reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. And shall make him a quick understanding. And his delight shall be in the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, neither decide by the hearing of his ears. Jesus, it says in Isaiah, it was prophesied of Jesus that Jesus would operate in the reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. And when some people challenge us when we talk about the fear of the Lord, and we're talking about a tormenting fear, I don't believe that Jesus operated in a tormenting fear. I, yes, fear, perfect love casts out fear. And fear will just torment, but I don't believe that Jesus operated in the spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. There's two kinds of fears, folks. That makes sense? There is a tormenting fear. But there is a reverential and obedient fear of the Lord, and Jesus possessed it. Jesus operated in that reverential fear. It's a positive fear of God. And it says that in, uh, and his delight shall be in the reverential, obedient fear of the Lord. Let me just, I have some things in my notes, and I, I just need to read them. Jesus could not have operating a spirit of primary fear. Um, 
When you respect God above all things, and you refuse to bow your knee to any other spirit, to any other nation, when you accept to the true and living God, you will understand things. And I like to say you will understand things quickly. I thought that we just read that. And you should forget verse 3. And you shall have it. Make him a quick understanding. You know, um, I don't know how, some of the things that I'm talking about is almost hard to describe. You almost have to experience it. That makes sense? Because some of these things are not natural. They are supernatural. And there have been times, I, I wish I could give, give some examples right now, but there are times where I know I'm operating in the fear of the Lord. I also know that there have been times I've been operating in the fear of man, in my own wisdom. I, I'll be honest with you, I know there's, we all have. Have you, have you guys noticed yourselves there have been times where you've operated in another kind of fear or in another kind of wisdom? But I also know there's been times where I'm operating in the fear of the Lord. And sometimes I'm, just because I'm operating in the fear of the Lord, it's not always popular. But been, I know there have been times when I'm operating in the fear of the Lord that in a, in a, in a situation when I need a, an answer, I need a quick, it came quickly. When you're operating in the spirit of God, in the spirit of wisdom, in the fear of the Lord, and respect and honor Him, trusting Him, relying on Him, there's been times I, I know the Lord will give you a quick answer. There's some time, how many of you know that there was times where the religious leaders cornered Jesus in an argument, and He gave a quick answer. He gave a quick response. For example, page of Caesar's was Caesar, and God's a God's. There was times that he gave such an answer that they, didn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't counter it because it came with such wisdom. I like this, though. It says at the end of verse 3 that he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, neither decide by the hearing of his ears. He did not judge by appearance. He did not ju make judgment and decisions based on the culture. That make sense? Including the religious culture. He did not, in other words, he did not allow the culture to change him. He changed the culture. That's huge. Did you hear what I just said? He didn't allow the culture to change him. He changed or he endeavored to change the culture. Church, are we not the head and not, not the tail? Are we above and not, not, and not beneath? We're the church. And we, if we will operate in the fear of God and the wisdom of God, we won't let the culture, the religious culture, even the church culture, to change us. We will change the culture. And at times, even trying to change the culture, like Jesus, like the apostles, like Noah, like Abraham, like David, sometimes we will be the only ones. And sometimes we will be mocked. But we need to feel the Lord to discern what's the right response and what's the right thing to do. That makes sense? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. 
Matthew chapter 4, we'll pick it up verse 8. And what we have here in the context is the, the three temptations of Jesus. Uh, when Satan came to tempt him. Now, I don't have time to, for context, for time of time's sake, I'm not going to read the verse, seven verses. Not because they're not important, but let me just make some comments about these before we pick up verse 8. The first two temptations that Jesus experienced with Satan, and both of those temptations, if you, if you, if you, if you can even scroll out, up and listen to hear the words, but Satan, the first two temptations that Jesus, I mean Satan did towards Jesus, was he tempted him and asking him, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, and yet, and we all, in all the temptations, we heard Jesus quoting scripture to counter. We also, we talked about how, in the weeks past, how the word of God is the wisdom of God. He used the word of God for witness for his wisdom. But I want to deal with this real quickly. If you are the son of God, in my, in my notes I have this, if you don't know who you are in Christ, you cannot fulfill your destiny in this life. Your purpose is connected to your destiny. Yeah, I mean, you're putting, and that's true, but your, your, your purpose is also connected to your identity. In other words, I, I should have said this before I started. <clears throat> Not only are we here in the context of, of the temptations of Jesus, but Jesus is just begin, preparing to start his ministry. Jesus is just beginning to start his ministry. More importantly, Jesus is beginning to start his ministry because Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. It's going to be three and a half years yet before he actually goes to the cross. But Jesus is actually starting his ministry to do his destiny, his purpose. Jesus came what? To die. Jesus came, yet he came to minister. And there's a lot of prophecies uh, about his ministry. And he's about ready to start his ministry. In other words, he's about ready to start his destiny. But the very first thing that the enemy tries to tempt him was, is to tempt his identity. If you are the Son of God, do this. He tries to question his identity, his identity because his identity is connected to his destiny. That makes sense? But if you don't know who you are, you can't do what you're supposed to do. I know this in our church, in our pastoring, and in, 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 in especially in the last couple of years, the enemy has tried hard to deal my identity. He's even tried to compromise my identity so that I don't fulfill my destiny. It takes the wisdom of God. It takes the fear of God to discern that. That makes sense? And then uh, I want to just deal with this real quick before I go to verse 8 of Matthew 4. If you notice in Matthew 27, when Jesus was on the cross, he's hanging on the cross, being crucified. And the same temptation comes again. If you are the Son of God, come off the cross. If you are... In the, in the wilderness, he had two temptations. That said, if you are the Son of God, do this. 
And on the cross, the same temptation, if you are the Son of God, come down off the cross. Why? Because the cross was his destiny. His cross, his, his, the cross was his purpose. But he, he, he questioned his identity to rob him from his destiny. How many times has the enemy come to you and said, if you are a Christian, you would do this. If you really were a Christian, if you really believed this grace, if you really believed this gospel, you would do this. How many times has the enemy come to question your identity? To rob you from your destiny? It takes the fear of the Lord. It takes the wisdom of God to discern. And in all, all, all cases, including the cross, Jesus counted everything with Scripture. That makes sense? We need to know the Word of God. We need to know our identity. Your identity always comes under assault to prevent you from fulfilling your destiny. I want to say that again. Your identity always comes under assault to prevent you from fulfilling your destiny. Okay. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. It says again, the devil took him on a very high mountain. Actually, excuse me. I want to get back to the New King James. I don't need to amplify this right now. So again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship. Have you ever noticed this the last temptation that it only took a few moments for Satan to show him all the kingdoms of the world? We don't know how much time actually elapsed, so I know I'm using a little speculation here. But he took him on the high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. See, there's a... Well, actually, if we were to read Luke... Uh, oh, sorry, I, I, I should have read my notes. See, uh, at the end of verse 8, it says here in Matthew, and he showed them all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. In Luke's translation of this, it says that he showed them him in a moment of time. That's where we get that. But there's, see, there's a deception in all this. See, all the kingdoms of the world last for only a moment. Sin has a pleasure for a season, not for a moment. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, I'm not going to turn to all that right now. And in the context of Ephesians chapter 2 and even Ephesians chapter 1, God says he will demonstrate through their ages to come all of eternity to show us the glory and inheritance we have in Christ. See, Satan took a moment to show him the kingdom of the world. But God says he will take all eternity. To show us all that we have in Christ. The Amplified even brings out in Ephesians chapter 2, it will show us the immeasurable, limitless, and surpassing riches that we have in Christ. See, the glory of God is forever. The temptation of the enemy is for a moment. That makes sense. But it takes the wisdom of God. 
It takes the fear of the Lord to discern what is for a moment and what is eternal. That makes sense. See, Satan is an egomaniac. He wants worship. But in this last temptation that we just read here in Matthew chapter 8, verses 9, and I didn't read verse 10. Verse 10 says, And then Jesus said to him, Away from, away with you, Satan. And this is key. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Again, he says, For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Now, Jesus quotes scripture as it is written. He says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He's quoting scripture. But you can look throughout the whole Old Testament, from Matthew to Malachi. I mean, from Genesis to Malachi, excuse me. Excuse me, what Old Testament do you have? From Matthew to Malachi. <laughs> okay, anyway, from uh, Genesis to Malachi. And you won't find this word for word in any scriptures. But you will find this, and you find this in several books and several references, but the key one is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Turn to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And you'll find this many times quoted in the Old Testament. And this is the way it's worded. Verse 13, and it says, And you shall, what? Fear the Lord your God, and serve him, and take oaths in his name. See, Matthew, he quotes, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him serve only. But in Deuteronomy, we shall, shall serve the Lord your God and serve him. You'll find that same phrase not only in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 13, but in Deuteronomy 10, 20, Deuteronomy 13, 4, Joshua 24, 14, and 1 Samuel 12, 14, and verse 24. I don't expect you to write all that down and to memorize all that. But my, here's my point. The word, the, the word is fear in the Old Testament. But Jesus used the word worship. Here's my point. The fear of the Lord is worship. The fear of the Lord is worship. Let me, let me tell you, I'm almost out of time here. I'm running low on time. But in Job chapter 1. Job 1. I'm making sense? I'm starting to round first base, I mean third base, coming home. As we get to the finish line here. I'm talking about the fear of the Lord. But just for context, I'm going to read verses 1 and 8. And there was a man in the land of Uz. Makes me think of the word of Uz. The land of Uz. Whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. One who what? Feared God. And, and shunned evil. Verse 8, excuse me, I'm going to scroll. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and shuns evil? Skip on down, verse 20, excuse me, I'm going to scroll down. And uh, it says, And then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. 
for time's sake, I kind of, kind of sped this up a little bit. But Job was known by both God and Satan as one who feared the Lord. <coughs> and he also equated being blameless. But we know the story of Job. Yeah, that one day he lost everything. His kids, his riches, his health. Everything came to, to uh, everything was taken from him in one day. But here's Job's response to all that. And then Job rose, told his robe, shaved his head, and he fell down to the ground and worshipped. Even as I read the book of Job, for the most part, I may not ag all agree with Job's theology. But he feared the Lord. And he worshipped his God. It's important that we learn to fear the Lord and worship him. When we understand why things are happening, even at times when we don't. You ever watch the movie Facing the Giants? We will praise him when we win, and we will praise him when we lose. My point with this job is that we need to fear the Lord. Satan will come and do things. Satan can come, and he's like a roaring lion seeking to remain devoured. He's out to kill, still destroy. And as we are more although we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. And the victory is in Jesus. How many of you know that the enemy does not play fair? And he can come, and he can try to come, and he can try to, he will he can bring sickness in our lives, he can bring devastation to our lives at times. But how many know he can't win? If we understand the fear of the Lord. And we have respect for God's word. We can turn our circumstances around in the name of Jesus. We can heal the sick. We can raise the dead. There's nothing that the enemy can take from us that God can't give. And actually, he's taken from us. We, scripture teaches that we can demand from Satan seven times back. But it takes the fear of the Lord. It takes respecting God's word and honoring him to do that. But how many know that even at times when, we, when things go wrong, if Satan has a tendency to try to try to 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 uh, bewitch us to blame God. How many people have you come across in these years who are mad at God because of something that happened? That's Satan. That's the spirit of Antichrist who is getting blame God for something that he did. Satan did. <coughs> That's not the fear of the Lord. That's not the wisdom of God. <coughs> if we're not careful, the enemy will, will cause us to, instead of worshiping God, like Job, will cause us to blame God. It causes us to be a mad at God and be afraid of God instead of respecting and honoring and worshiping Him and knowing and discerning in His word how we counter the things that the enemy does. To restore and to 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 because uh, if you read the story, Job received double back for everything that he lost. Does that make sense? 
I don't have time to read it because of time's sake, but it's in Acts chapter 10 we have the story of Cornelius. Cornelius was not a, was a God-fearing man, but he was not a, a believer. He was not saved. But in the story, in Acts chapter 10, we have the story where Cornelius and his household did get saved. And they did get filled with the Holy Spirit. But in, in Acts chapter 10, Jesus, uh, Peter was also called before the church council. Because of the, uh, the situation that took place in Cornelius' household. And Peter makes these statements in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 35, where he says, In every nation, God accepts those who fear him and does what is right. What's my point? One of the things I'm trying to bring out is that in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, the apostles, Peter being, uh, in many ways, one of the chief apostles outside of Paul, is that is uh, he he taught that God accepts those who fear Him and does what is right. We're not we're accepted by God because of Jesus, and we've always established that point that the gospel, the message of the cross, Jesus is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Cornelius just received Jesus, the wisdom of God. And he, but and what I'm trying to tie, I'm trying to tie in, if you're hearing my message, the fear of the Lord is worshiping him. The fear of the Lord is receiving him. The fear of the Lord is respecting God and his word. Cornelius respected God and his word and received it. God will accept those who fear him. In other words, those who have not received, and I also talk about how, how Abraham received righteousness of God by faith. Noah operated with the righteousness of God by faith. And, the, and, and in context, in both the Hebrews 11, 7, and also in Genesis 22, we said that both Abraham and Noah feared the Lord. To me, fearing the Lord is the same thing as receiving Christ by faith. It's obeying God, it's believing Him, it's having faith in God, it's pleasing God, it's respecting God, it's trusting God, it's relying on God, it's being in awe of God. Isn't that making sense? I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to connect the dots, I don't know if I'm doing, I'm, I'm pointing to you, I'm pointing to all the dots. I just, my heart is that I'm able to help you connect the dots. But, I, I, but let me just say this, I'm going to close with this, this thought. I am not here to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm not here to offend anyone. But it's time for us, the church, to stop playing games. We see the things happening in our world. We see how the enemy is destroying people and lives through sickness, disease, and all kinds of corruption, divorce, and, and strife and envy. Where is the church? What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of man? Like Noah? Being ridiculed? Are we afraid of man? Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel? Of being thrown into the lion's den? Are we afraid of man? And these men were not afraid of man. They were, they feared God. Jesus is our Lord. Alright, go read two more scriptures real quick. Psalm 4 4. 
being angry. Actually, I want to turn to the King James, excuse me. Stand in awe and sin not. King James. Matthew 4 4. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. See not. But stand in awe and do not sin. That's King James. Can be a little different than the other translations. But King James brings out stand in awe. Talk with me real quickly in the same thought. Uh, Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. And let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. And I'm hoping to make sense with this last couple comments I want to make. And this is not only my message, but in many ways, this is my prayer. As we bring this section of the, the message to the close. But my prayer is that the you, myself included, the church, would have a fresh revelation of the awesomeness of God. That we'd be arrested by His presence. See, when you really see God, when you really have a, a pure, actually I didn't read it, but in Psalm 19 verse 7 says, Psalm 19 verses 7 to 11 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, it's pure, it's endurance forever. When you have a clear and clean revelation of God, you will see as the angels in heaven see. And when they see God, they cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. When you see God in all of His glory, the only response you can say is holy, holy, holy. See, when you really see God and when you get to know Him through the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And when you see God by the agency of the Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit we can't see Him. And when you see God in accordance to His Word, you will stand in awe of the greatness of God. You will stand in awe of the grandeur of God. You will stand in awe of the glory of God. You will stand in awe of the awesomeness of God. You will stand in awe of the holiness of God. And although a lot of us agree with everything I just said, I don't know about you, but I want, my heart is that it would move us. We have lost somewhere in the religion of things, in the busyness of things, the awesomeness of God. I hope I'm making sense. But also when you see God in all of his awesome glory and uh, splendor and majesty, 
you will, in the flesh you will also see your mortality, your weakness, and your insignificance. And I understand the fact that we are not flesh and blood. We are the new creation in Christ Jesus. We are the righteous of God. I teach that in this church. But I also know there's a tendency in my own mind. My flesh wants to pop up. But in the midst of seeing his glory and his awesomeness and my flesh and my weakness. See, we, but Paul says, when I'm weak, therefore I'm, in him I'm strong. But in the midst of all that, you also will hear God. And you, will, you also get communicated by God how much he loves you. How much he has forgiven you. When you stand in God's presence, you will get an awesome reminder of his mercy that endures forever. His grace that is sufficient for you. And as much as your flesh wants to say how insignificant, how unworthy you are, God's grace and God's mercy, God's presence, God's glory, God's awe will remind you of the merciful, mercifulness of God. See, in the flesh you can't stand in this presence, but you're not just flesh and blood, you are love, you are the beloved of God. And we need to be taught. We need to experience the awesomeness of God. See, Jesus died on the cross for you to reconcile you back into right relationship with God. It's the truth. The truth that was in Christ, it says in Ephesians 4, that we put off the old man in the spirit of our, our mind, we put on the new man who has created God in true righteousness and holiness. That is the truth that is in Christ. And that truth should, we should be treated with awesomeness. And it, that truth should produce a reverence, a respect, an awe of God. Because there is no other person there's no pastor. There's no spouse or family member. There's no government. There's no other king who died for you to make you holy and righteous and sanctified and without blemish and without in Jesus Christ. And I love that song that we've seen many times. Amazing God. How can it be that my king died he died for me to take my sin. He died for me to give us his righteousness. And that should cause an awesomeness. I want to please him. I want to respond to him. I want to take this message, not only to live my life, but I want to live holy because he's holy. You, 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 ever, you ever gotten a new car? Or a new toy, equipment? New piece of clothing on and when you got that, it was it was something that you just loved. You all you were out of it. You didn't want anyone to break it. You almost didn't even want anyone to touch it. You didn't even want to touch it yourself. And you definitely wouldn't touch it with dirty hands. You get a new car, new piece of couch or furniture. You're not either working either working in the field or working on uh, you're all greasy and grubby. You're not gonna sit in it. No, you're gonna go wash your hands, you're gonna change your clothes. And then you're, gonna, you're not going to, you don't want to mess it up. You don't want to break it. You know, if you get a new car, you don't want to have some greasy food in there and get that aroma out. Some of you don't like the new car smell, but I do. And so you don't want anything to, the, 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 I had a car salesman said, if you don't want to 
Lose this new car smell, never roll down the windows, never have, have fast food in here to take away that aroma. And I get that. I mean, you ever get something new, you don't want someone to, to say it was a book that you really like or something. You don't want them to read it with the Cheeto, Cheeto fingers. You know, after eating Cheetos and Doritos, your, your fingers get all orange. You don't want someone to touch it and get all orangey. God has given us such a great salvation. Where's the awesomeness that we want to respect and honor? And not just not religious. I don't know about you, but anything that's religious has a distaste in my mouth. It's fake. You ever eat something you thought was going to be good, it looked yummy, but it was just nothing but fake on the inside? I share, my wife, Sherry's picky when it comes to baking. She likes homemade food, especially bacon. She won't eat store-bought cookies. She won't eat store-bought uh, bakery items, um, pies. And, uh, I was putting cake and pie. I'm saying we're pies. Anyway, I don't know how that works. Cakes or pies or cookies. The only ones that she'll get away with is uh, Oreos. And she does like ding-dongs, toasters. Uh, but for the most part, she will not eat. Go to Marie Callender's and get her a pie. She'll take her. She'll shake a, a homemade pie over uh, a store-bought pie. Even that a store-bought. I know they have a bakery, but she's that's not that's not the same. To her, it's fake. Versus having a store-bought. But you give her. You give her. I, mean, I think I said that it's fake compared to a homemade pie. I've joked with her and said, so worry what you're saying, the only pies you like is yours. <laughs> and she said, yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's true. I don't know about you, but I don't want fake. I don't want phony. I want the power of God. I want to experience the fullness of God. I don't need religion. I need Jesus. I need God. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is, a, is wisdom. And we need the fear of the Lord. See, the fear of the Lord, the wisdom of God, is not present in our culture today. And it, it shows. It shows. Our culture despises God. Despises His Word. Despises the fear of the Lord. And it shows. But I want the fear of the Lord to be evident in my life. It was evident in David's life. It was evident in Abraham's life. It was evident in Noah's life. It was evident in uh, Daniel's life. It was evident in Joseph's life. It was evident in people's life. They had a fear of God. They weren't afraid of God. They embraced God. They, they weren't a, it wasn't a tormenting fear. They excelled. They were wise. They were wiser than the magicians. They were wiser than the kings because they had a they were able to discern the times. They were able to discern when the enemy was going against them. Even at times when they were standing alone. That's the fear of God. That's the wisdom of God. Why am I teaching all this? Because I want you, I want myself to walk in wisdom. It's not about me looking good. It's about him looking good in you. The, the, the disciples were known as unlearned men. But they came across as people who feared God and not man. They were going to preach the gospel even when it was outlawed. 
They were going to preach in the name of Jesus. Is this making sense? Now we're going to talk about, hopefully, sorry, next week, I'll just have to relook at my, my notes, but um, I believe next week we're going to start talking about the pillars of building this house. Wisdom is like a house. And we're going to look at the seven main pillars of this house. Does that sound good? All right. All right. Well, we'll, look at, we'll see you next week. We have Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock. And uh, for, uh, you've already got it. But we worship you. We exalt you. We magnify you. Lord, uh, there's many things I've taught today. I don't know if we have all understood and comprehended this. Lord, by the Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would make these truths real and clear in our hearts and minds. So that we can walk in them. We can live in them. We worship you. We magnify you. In Jesus' name. Amen.